Oh, hey, Alice. Hey, you showed up at a good time. We have a very special guest with us tonight, local uke bard, Garrett Devon. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. And might I say you're looking lovely this evening. Thank you very much. Uh, I like to get dressed up from time to time. Yeah, what, what did you call it, Neve? A very retro cyberpunk. Yeah, that, that's apt. That's the most badass description anyone's ever gave me. <laughs> so, um, man, like when I saw what you did, I, I knew I had to talk to you because you're uh, you're you're out here. You're out there. You're out there. You're out 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 there. Yeah. Out there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, which out. is perfect. This is the mad tea party. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Well, I figured if you're going to go, you know, I'm like 42, about to be 42. So it was like, man, if you're going to make, if you're going to do something, we're not half-assing it, man. I have no time. <laughs> so, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, let's get into the meat of it. Uh, let, uh, when is the last time you cried? Oh, shit. Uh, a good hard cry uh, the, uh, i mean it's up to you what kind of answer oh yeah no i mean i've i i'm fairly emotional so uh, <laughs> uh the last time i you know teared up a bit was my wife and i are binge watching true blood for the fourth time and fuck what was it i can't remember the episode now it was some moment in one of the episodes that i was like damn it true blood I teared up a little but if we're gonna officially talk about crying the last time i really cried was our cat of 10 years mr darcy was an orange tabby like 17 pound monster passed in he passed halloween night of i guess it was 2020 it's like the worst day of my fucking life uh I've experienced loss in a number of different ways. I've never cried that much, that hard, that long. Uh, it was it was a few, it was at least a good week and a half, two weeks before my wife and I would stop like just randomly bursting into tears. Mm. Uh, it was brutal. It was not uh it was not fun. Mm. I'm not one of those people though, you know, I've uh, that I don't look at it as oh god I can't have a cat again. I can't do pets it's too painful like no all the tears we shed and the pain only indicate how good it actually was so right. fucking bring it on right that was a damn good cat yeah he was an awesome cat uh, we had a love hate I've written uh, I wrote a song about him on my SoundCloud, it's a very rough draft death metal song about him, but then I have a more acousticized version <laughs> uh, called Darcy Cat Death Kill. We had a love-hate because he loved my wife. Like, he was, my wife was his person. I was more like this guy that, that he liked well enough to, you know, form a bond with, but, you know, woke me up all the time, want to go outside, or just, you know, Gave each other shit all the time. 
But at the end of the day, we loved each other deeply. So uh, he was a good cat, man. He was a good cat. This, this isn't uh, like as tragic of a tale, but I have a, a cat story where um, me and this girl I was seeing at the time, this cat wandered up to our house and she convinced it to come inside. And we thought it was a kitten because it was so small. Mm -hmm. And we took it to the vet the next day. It was kind of weird that it just like she was so able to let it like, like it, it was a stray cat and it just like kind of usually pretty, pretty leery. So I, I kind of thought it was weird, but I didn't like want to say anything. So like uh, we we realized that night that like something was wrong and like because he was just was laying there and we took him to the vet the next day and we found out it was not a kitten. It was a very malnourished tomcat. Oh, uh, yeah. Black cat just wandered up to our house. So he, the vet was like, um, you know, it's bad. You know, we, we should put him down. He's like, just so you know, like stray cats do that. You know, when they're really terminally ill, they'll, they'll find it like people. And that's what the, that's anyway, that's what the guy said to me, but I didn't know that. So, um, paid the, the vet fee to like put it down and they gave us a bag to, to take it home in. So the other part of the story is for an art project, I had built a giant cross in my backyard and uh, my girlfriend had climbed up on it and we did like a female Christ kind of thing. But uh, I, I was in the process of building this thing and I was digging a hole to, to put the cross in. What I didn't realize is I was actually digging a grave and I had a grave dug for this cat that, uh, that I'd met that night. Yeah. Yep. So this, this cat has a eight foot headstone. <laughs> that is awesome, man. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. I don't know if it's still there. Like I moved since then. But, uh, Straight cats, it, dude. You know, I actually imagine the new new owners probably took the eight foot cross out of their backyard. Oh, he's <laughs> fucking tormenting them now a bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. They. Oh shit. I didn't think about that. You disturbed the grave, so now they're all fucked. Fuckers. <laughs> all their. <laughs> if they have cats now, their cats are just like probably spooked. They won't come out of like. Their oh yeah, they're not going. They like ten foot under the bed. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Fluffy hasn't come out from the bed since we moved in three years ago. We just have to put the food down there. <laughs> Ever since we took that big cross out the backyard, the cats won't come out of the closet. I don't understand. <laughs> put it back up. It's like the cats like haunting them in their dreams. Put it back up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. oh it's terrifying. He's going to like slay him a lot. He's going to be tapping on the window. Meow. Meow. Stray cats are the best, though. So oh, yeah. we had a stray cat. Um, we ended up calling him Holando Esteban. And the reason, I, 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 I'm be honest, I have no clue where that name came from. At first, oh, we thought it was a female. Holando Esteban. Yeah, at first, well, at first we thought it was a female, and for some reason the name Jolanda came to me when I was meeting the cat. So that's I just you know just kind of 
fiddling and like, all right, Jolanda, whatever. And then I realized it was a, a guy, a dude. And so I was like, okay, well, let's alter it a little. Let's just, we're just gonna, we're gonna max this out. Jolanda Esteban. <laughs> he was the most badass cat I've ever met. Though. Mm. My man was like, maybe like 12 pounds, small and just super stocky. Um, we took him to the vet. They said he was around 10 years old. He was like arthritic. There was another tomcat in the neighborhood that was like obviously younger and a good bit heavier and would just like kick this cat's ass all the time. Just Holando took a beating all the time, but that fucker never stopped. I, I, it was, it was, I, I ended up, I've written two cat songs and that's the second one I wrote. Uh, and it, the, the image that came to me when I was writing it was like, he's like diehard John McClain. Like he should have been dead so long ago, but some fucking how or another, this dude just does not die. He so here's die. where the story gets wild. So we took him in, kind of similar to your to the one you and your girlfriend got. Um, we befriended him. He was around, and then at some point, he was like a he. He was just an incredibly unique cat. Dude was like a ninja. We would leave our door open. And we had we lived in a 700 square foot house at the time. So it's not like we didn't have like a fucking West Wing that you could just walk in and nobody see. But it was more than once that we would have our one door open and we would both be in the area of the door. And one of us would go back to our bedroom and he would be on the bed. And we'd be like, well, how the fuck did he get in? Like, how did he get past us? How did he do that? Did that a number of times. And so we, we took him in. He loved Mr. Darcy, which was a miracle because Darcy did not get along with other cats. They befriended each other. We took him to the vet. He had a UTI. He had all this stuff. We were like, fuck it, fix it. Let's do it. So we got him taken care of. He stayed with us for about two months and he disappeared. And we're like, well, okay. Well, it's what happens. It's okay. It, you know, whatever. Like four months later, it's in the evening. We have friends coming over. I'm in the shower. My wife's in the kitchen getting things ready. I get out of the shower and I hear from the kitchen, I'll just assault my wife like, uh, Garrett, Garrett. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's up? What's going on? She's like, no, it's cool. Just, you need to come in here. And I'm like, okay. I walk in and that fucking cat is just standing in the doorway <laughs> after months of being gone. Wow. And we're like, holy shit, Holanda, like, oh, fuck, oh, like, he can't, it's like, he, he came in, we put some food down, he ate a little, and then he walked out, we never <laughs> saw him again. Oh, my God. And we wow. really, truly do believe, like, we, we just know, like, man, he, that was like a final gesture of like, hey, thanks for taking care of me, and helping me feel better for a minute, and now I have to leave. Hmm. Very, it was a cool experience, but it was wild. Wow. Neef, uh, when's the last time you cried? Um, <clears throat> I guess it depends. Because I look at crying the same way I look at laughing. You know, sometimes it's reactionary just listening to music, you know. Mm. But it's yeah. not necessarily a something I'm thinking about or something that's upset me, 
where it's you know it's a release you know it's just unemotional reaction to whatever um and that i mean that's who knows you know that's all the damn time <laughs> i can give you a like like bowie says you know ain't there one damn song that can make me break down and cry that song almost does every time mm. yeah yeah i mean it's i think when you showed me um heroin by velvet underground i saw you tear okay. up a little bit maybe I don't know if heroin would have done that to me because that one was always just kind of a cool one. That one's if like we uh, Velvet. If we we're listening to Velvet Underground, there might have been something. I'm not sure because some of some of Lou's stuff can kind of hit you on a weird level. But heroin doesn't. That's just a cool track. That me. one got me. Was... Yeah, I mean it's well the ending of it. The ending of it, when it gets really intense and what he's talking about can kind of it depends on what kind of you know. If you catch me in a mode where I've been listening to a lot of stuff and I'm on a thing, it's a little easier, you know. You start mm. getting pumped up about something, just like comedy, you know. You start watching, yeah. You know, you start watching um, a little bit of stand-up comedy and get you in a mode. You're more likely to just get in hysterics and be just laughing your ass off for an hour, an hour. It took me. It took me years. I think it was part of really a undomestication of because society really especially you know growing up as a man you're you know crying is a, a thing the laughter and crying is separated so oddly from society yeah when they're really so close together it took me a long time to realize that that it's crying or weeping are two different things you know yeah Crying is, you know, you're crying out for something, pain, usually it's pain. Weeping is a release, you know. And, you know, I used to, <laughs> one of my, one of my, my little slick things I used to say as a rock and roller was, you know, I, I don't, I don't make women cry, but I'll definitely make them weep. <laughs> you know. Cramps don't cry. Right, but it being like a, being a release thing, you know, now it's something you don't, when you begin to realize that and you're comfortable, you don't fight things like that. It's like you don't fight, fight laughter. Even if somebody's like, oh my God, I can't believe you laughed at that. Like, that, that's a reaction. Why can't you believe that? Should I run up and get mad because you started crying about something that I didn't <laughs> want to cry about? Oh my God, God, I'm so offended that you found that upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> you stop that crying. Stop it! Stop it! I'll give, I'll give you something to cry about, man. How many times but did I hear that shit? I would actually have to say the last time it was really a sad one was after. It wasn't when I found Paul Gray, my cat, um, because I walked outside and found him laying there, and you know, I. That was the first time in a long time I had that very heartened sadness. That wasn't. It wasn't a crying. It was just a really, I mean, like, damn, you know, it stopped me in my tracks, you know. And, um, but when I had to tell my son, that's mm -hmm. when I could see this together, you know, because I had to sit down and explain to him. And when it broke him up, because I could see him hear it, and then the reality of it actually had to set into him, you know. And, uh, and that was really, really one of the hardest things. I mean, you know. But I think it was a good thing because 
it showed him that it wasn't me sitting there with him saying, oh, you're all right. You stub your, you know, you stub your toe and you're crying. You don't got to cry. You'll be all right. You're tough, you know, because you kind of got to give that to a child. So they're not, so they have a little toughness. You got to kind of register how much crying that you're really going to, I guess, allow or accept or really respond to in a certain way. But then at the same time, you also have to teach them when times are okay, you know, when it's like this is, it's okay that you're breaking down. We're all breaking down, you know. So, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, that's probably was because that was, that was a quite a loss for us here. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's tough. Man. I'm yeah. sorry for it. Uh, Garrett, what are, um, like non-musical inspirations for you? Like, um, like what movies, books, TV shows yeah. inspired you growing up? Comic books, um, whatever. So growing up, it definitely would have been comics, Star Wars. Uh, my dad and I loved Jean-Claude Van Damme. So... <laughs> It was like a, it was like a five to ten year section of my life that my dad would always reference them as blood and gut movies, uh, and we loved them. So <laughs> it's it's funny. So like uh, martial arts, I guess, is kind of a. If I'm gonna pinpoint what it was about those movies, it was the martial arts. Um, now. Uh, my music, movies for sure, still a big factor. Um, so on, on my album, there's a song called Inner Pinhead, and it's legitimate about uh, Hellraiser. Uh, Hellraiser. Now there's meaning, you know, it's not, it's not a shallow song per se, I, you know, about fucking Pinhead. Mm -hmm. There's depth, but I, I pretty directly pull imagery from the movie. And unabashedly so. <laughs> nice. Uh, wow. So yeah, sci-fi movies, big inspiration. Um, I'd say yeah, movies and, and just books. <clears throat> I read. I try to read a good array of books. Um, my favorite author is Mikhail Bulgakov. Mm. I'm a Russian dude. I had to read this book in college, and I've read it probably five times since then. Uh, the uh, the master and Margarita. It's does, does he have any other books that might be more known because his name almost sounds familiar, but I can't really. He had quite a career. He was during Stalin time, so a lot of his stuff, uh, especially his later things, were heavily censored for a right. long one. Um, but he we wrote a lot of plays. Do what? I said we love those kind of books here. Oh yeah, man. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I'm kind of actively trying to build a list of all the, you know, the banned books. I want to make sure I support those artists and, and, and read them. I want to know. Uh, but yeah, Mikhail was good, man. Master Margarita was his masterpiece. Uh, he had a number of shorter books um, that were just bizarre sci-fi type things. One was like Head of a Dog, I think is the name of it, Heart of a Dog. And it's literally about a scientist that you know fused a human with a with the head of a dog and it's the behavioral outcome of that 
Mm. Um, he was oh. he was a weird weird writer, but mm. after Stalin, many decades later, you're now you're able to find like uncensored versions of of Master Margarita, and it's it's a fucking masterpiece, man. Right. As somebody, uh, kind of like you had said earlier, I guess before we were recording, but um, you know, I was born and raised Baptist, pretty heavy okay. religion. Um, somewhere in middle mid high school. I started to really break away from that as much as I could internally. Externally, it was kind of hard to do until I got to college. But this particular book deals with a lot of like atheism and Christianity. And it it was it's interesting because it has a really unique marriage of them where it doesn't um I mean, I guess you'd have to say in the story, it does kind of it states Christianity as being a thing, but it's not, it's not your, it's, it's not the Christianity that I was raised around. It's much more open and much more forgiving and much more loving the way it probably is supposed to be. <laughs> uh, so anyway, and all that within a love story and Satan running around Moscow causing all kinds of disruption with a massive black cat that drinks vodka. Hell yeah. So, it's a wicked story, man. It's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm, I'm really forgetful. Okay. So after we're done, can you, uh, can you like send me the name of that? So I'll remember. Thank yeah, I got you. Man. Um, so, um, uh, you're, you said you were raised Baptist and I think I'm a little bit familiar, like with that denomination and like the beliefs, but not like super familiar. Um, but, uh, it sounds like you, like you, you broke away from that a while back. Um, but I guess my question is, and no one really knows, but what do you think happens after we die? Do you have any inclinations? I do. Um, my belief is that I, I believe in reincarnation. Um, I believe that our spirit, soul, core, whatever you call it, has a purpose or a drive and it will reincarnate as many times as it needs to figure that part out. And once that happens, then you, you know, you might call it ascend or we elevate to some higher level of consciousness. Uh, that's a very rough way to describe it. Um, also, very well knowing that I have no fucking clue and no fucking clue. So, I, I'm so aware of that that I have what I believe may happen. Mm -hmm. But if I'm sitting next to somebody that's Islamic or, you know, hard, you know, hardcore Christian and they say, well, this is what happens. Frankly, I'm probably not going to argue with them. One, because I don't have the energy. <laughs> but also, I don't know. Fuck, man, they may be right. I may be going straight to fucking hell. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, who knows? So Actually, that's yeah. my take. I do the best I can. I try to be the best person that I can from my side of the street, you know, my perspective, so to speak. Uh, it's not always, not always right. And it's not always nice. 
But in the moment, I feel like I, I really try to do the best I can. Mm. And we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's like, uh, I, yeah, I also have no fucking clue. Because it's like, um, I'm pretty sure it's not, uh, um, you know, like fundamental Christianity. Pretty, pretty, pretty sure. But if I had to bet who fucking it, knows? That would be the one I would bet against. Yeah. But, um, you know, pearly gate. You know, that being said, though, uh, like David Bowie, I, I've literally met Satan. Like, like that is something that's happened to me. And maybe that maybe that's a story for another time. Hey man, I got time if you want to tell it, dude. Okay. That sounds interesting to me. All right. All right, maybe I was fishing a little bit because I want to tell it. Uh <laughs> so this. I don't actually know if I've told this story to Alice. Uh I'm not sure. But um uh, say what? I don't think you have. I don't think you've ever uh Okay. Well this one, Alice. Okay. Here we go. This, this so, is a heavy one, Alice. I'm gonna put my big headphones on for this. Yeah, right. So, um, it all started with uh, me and my friend Philip took took some acid that he had brought, um, and uh, we we only took one, but uh, it was amazing. And him and my other friend were trying to convince me to play Smash Bros. Because Super Smash Bros. is my game. It's like I'm I'm good at like only a couple of things in life, and that's one of them. And um, yeah, I've been playing that since you know like Nintendo 64, and like I grew up with it. Like I was young when that one came out, so like it's been with me in my development. Uh, and uh, anyway, they were trying to convince me to play, but I'm like, man, I don't think I could right now. Like, I'm so discombobulated. Like, it, I feel like almost like I'm drunk, like I couldn't hold the controller. And they're like, just try it. I'm like, ah, oh, okay. So like, you know, my, um, <clears throat> my, uh, like, I guess it, like assumption was right. And like, I, I couldn't like play correctly. And, and then like, <laughs> As we started like talking, like my friend David started talking about the zone and getting in the zone. Yeah. And that's something I've heard before, but I don't think I really understood it. Um, and he, he was like, it's, it's, it's a flow state. What it is, is you're taking your ego out of it and you become part of a process completely integrated, streamlined into it. Um, like and, in real time, in the moment. Yeah. Um, and he was like, you know, this is what like top athletes tap into, you know? And like, so I'm enter I enter like this flow state with like, like I get so into smash bros that like, I feel like it's, I, I'm watching what's happening on the screen, but it's like, I'm, I'm so di disconnected from, I'm like, is that, am I doing that? Am I yeah. doing that? Am I? <laughs> and the thing is, it took me a minute, but I started playing better than I have in my entire life. Um, I started doing multiple frame perfect inputs consecutively, like, like a machine. Yeah dude and then i went online because i'm like am i hallucinating do my friends just suck <laughs> that bad 
And so I took it online and I'm like, nope, no, I'm fucking killing it. I'm playing. <laughs> and now I have like the rank to show like how much better I'm playing than I was before. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And, um, and I was, and then something I realized is like, oh man, I've been here before. I just didn't realize it. Like, okay. you know, I think, I think we all come in and out of it all the time, but I didn't know. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we stopped playing Smash Bros and uh, my friend David goes away and me and Philip just start, uh, he starts asking me really introspective questions about myself. And I don't really know why, but it almost felt like a therapy session. Like, why are I don't know why I didn't question it. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, was, I that this, of, was that unique to him? Like, did he ever do that before that? Or was this kind of like out of nowhere? I guess, mm, no, I guess like, um, it, I guess I sh- he, he had come in from out of town and we don't see each other very often. So I guess, oh, okay. yeah. I guess it made sense. Okay. But, but I guess it was also kind of like really personal, but I didn't really think about it at the time because I was tripping. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. But um, I guess I should also preface, uh, we had discussed earlier in the day making contact with Lucifer. Um, I make a distinction. Lucifer is fallen angel, representative of pride. He's like the beautiful angel with black wings. Um, That's Lucifer to me. That's uh, separate from Satan, the god of wrath, ruler of hell. Gotcha. Fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, he he starts asking me questions about myself. And um, at, uh, at a certain point, um. Like we're really tranced out and my reality, it's hazy how I exactly got there, but my reality was like overlaid with a different landscape. And um, it was something about this meditation we were doing, something about this introspection. Um, And all around me was like brimstone with lava running through it. And, um, it looked like the inside of a volcano, but there's no top like, yeah. Uh, so my, where my friend was, he had his, he was actually sitting on this couch and and he had his hands like this. Well, and I was sitting in a chair right over here and, um, there was maybe four or five feet between us. Um, he was no longer there, but Satan was there, but he was further away, much further away. Um, there was a lot of distance between us. And um, my friend had his hands up like this. Well, have you ever seen Legend with Tom Cruise and Tim Curry? Uh, it's been a long while, but yeah. He looked exactly like Tim Curry. <laughs> okay. That sounds right. <laughs> big horns coming out. Yeah. Red muscular big horns coming out and like goat legs. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't looking at me. He was looking straight ahead of him and he was sitting on this chair. 
on his throne. And um, he wasn't looking at me. He was just looking straight ahead of him. He was almost like a living statue. Um, and he said, why are you here? And I realized he was like addressing me, but he wasn't looking at me. And I was mm -hmm. like, I don't know. Cause that was true. I don't, I, I don't know how I got here. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, he, he started getting impatient. He's like, what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. And we had a little bit more communication, but I, I don't remember all of it, but I do remember that he, he got really upset and he was like, what do you want? And I was like, I guess I just want to know if you're proud of me. And when I said that, I felt like it's like there was like this rumbling in the ground, but it felt like cruel laughter. Like the walls and the floor were like laughing at me. Like all the souls in hell were like ridiculing me. Cause I just asked the God of pride if he's proud of me. Uh, and uh, Satan did not find it funny. Satan turned and looked at me at that point and his angry gaze physically hurt me. Like it, it hurt the way he was putting his like judgment on me. Like the guilt, like hurt, like the judgment, I guess. And um, the next thing I know, I was like thrown out of that. And I was back on my couch or on the chair. And my friend Philip was still sitting there with his eyes closed. And I, I went over to him because I was like, oh shit, did, I don't know. Yeah. Is he in trouble? Did I, did I get him in trouble? <laughs> yeah. So, did I just kill my friend? <laughs> yeah. So um, I, uh, I started shaking him and he wasn't moving. And I like slapped him a couple of times, nothing. So I peeled his eyes open and they were like rolling back. Dude is out. Dude is tranced out, gone. Yeah. And I go get my roommate and I'm like, hey, you got to come here. Like, I'm worried about, I'm worried about him. So like we, we go pick him up and put him up against the wall until, until he'll hold his weight on his own feet. And it takes a while for him to finally like start supporting his own weight. Like, like he'd been drugged, you know? And like, whew, man. So, um, he was really mad at me for that. Cause he's like, He's like, I feel a line around my waist and it feels like I was ripped out of like a place. He's like, it's like, he's like, I feel like there's a, like a branding all the way around my, my, my waistband. Yeah. <laughs> like I was yanked. And he's like, don't ever like do that again. He's like, if, if you ever see me like that, don't, don't rip me out like that um but anyway that that's the time i met satan and that's what what's funny is like you know i've studied a lot of satanism it's not about worshiping him yeah it's about worshiping yourself yeah 
So to ask him that was extremely naive and disrespectful. Mm. But I also think I got yeah. his attention. I don't think anyone's ever said that to yeah. him. I mean, yeah, it sounds like clearly you got his attention. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it? Yeah, that, that makes sense as far as like why it got his attention. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about thought about it in those in those terms. Yeah, that's interesting, man. That's that's kind of intense, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of like, but how do I coincide that with like, wait? So like, is Christianity is is it, is it right? <laughs> is it like because this isn't this isn't like something you find in the Bible. This is like Catholic right. devil like <laughs> archetype. And here's the yeah. thing maybe I, th I think maybe all of these archetypes actually exist i think your imaginary friends um actually exist somewhere but the thing is like they're not here so yeah. when you when you um and maybe the gods aren't imaginary i'm not sure but yeah i think maybe it's collaborative that's what it is um i, I totally think that there's a space for well so something my wife and i talk a lot about and it's something that I hope to address artistically more once I just get more of an understanding, I guess. But the idea that like our brains, we want things to be black and white. Like I want a yes or a fucking no. Is this right? Yeah. Okay. Then that's wrong. Correct. That's what I fucking want. That's what my brain wants. It's simpler. It's clean. But I don't think that's how it that's not how the real world works in general. Yeah. So why would religion be any different? So maybe they're all fucking right, which right. is a little terrifying and a little freeing yep. because it's like, well, okay. So in other words, if they're all right, then just pick the fucking one that makes you feel good and <laughs> let's move forward. Well, there's definitely truth in all of them. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, um, I think, uh, I mean, the, man the, the the bible is some like crazy shit man like i i had um like a lot of disdain for it as like a teenager coming up like a late teenager but uh like uh i have a like a healthy respect for scripture now like because it a lot of that text is like really vital and not only that but there's like this crazy coded messages in there yeah <laughs> it's like extremely complex like Jewish number systems like Gamantria it's a whole thing like there's hidden number systems inside scripture and they're still like finding it and figuring out how they did it crazy I agree I, I don't uh when I was younger I, I'm kind of similar to you and I, I definitely kind of had an aversion I, I hit a, a point in my life that I had an aversion to just bible as I've gotten older it's not the bible that that's the problem it's the people <laughs> organized religion yep and you know like yeah. um like i was telling you earlier that i was raised as a jehovah's witness speaking about that organization like because i can't I, I can't speak for the mormons or like scientologists but i can imagine based on yeah. i can i can kind of guess at how it goes and uh like <clears throat> at least for for witnesses it's like my like my, my parents and my sister, for example, like they're all Jehovah's Witnesses. And my, my sister is what's called uh, a pioneer, which means that she knocks on doors. Uh, oh, so okay. it's either 50 or 70 hours a month. Like they all knock on doors, but she does it like at 
on top of having a full-time job. So a lot of door knocking. My yeah. So and the thing is uh, they they do it because they're trying to like save people's lives. You know, they think they're it's like yeah. completely altruistic, at least for them. And what's sad yeah. is like they're part of an organization that has them it's like just imagine like um like if like all these people like have this message and I, I guess maybe the only thing i would critique is if it was just a little bit better you know like that there are just a couple of like things that like are antiquated about um organized religion organized christianity they need to be updated but for the most part like um it's not the people it's it's the organizations they represent that's a better way to put it well i mean yeah, yeah it's also like th think about like um you can expand this out to like politics right it's like um it's not yeah. it's not really our choice or our fault what happens yeah we don't have a say in it really they tell us yeah. we do, but it's that's a definitely better way to put it well it makes me think of like talking about like political views. I've not met many people that when it's one-to-one, -one, you can find zero common ground. When it's just me and a person, we may believe just drastically different, but there's always been a common, there's somewhere, somewhere in that interaction mm -hmm. that, can, that's, that clicks and you're like, nope, okay. This is at least one anchor point that as far off as we may go, we can come back to this one point. But when you start, when it becomes more than one people, groups, organized elements, mm. a lot harder to manage. Yeah. Um, I, so I always feel a little lame of this reference, but I have used it a couple of times. The movie, which I say, I say, uh, I feel lame, but I still love this fucking movie, so I don't really care that much. Men in Black. There is a there's a there's a scene in there where Will Smith is just getting introduced, and he's talking to Tommy Lee, and he's like, "Why don't we just tell people they can handle? People are smart." And Tommy Lee's response is somewhere along the lines of, "A person is smart. A person can reasonably sit and talk, and we you can connect." people not so much mm. so like groups that already have these organized thoughts and these methodologies or structures there's harder to get to it, it, there, it's it's just harder to communicate to a whole because there's just too many there's too much nuance maybe or it's, it's, it's what they call the hive mind exactly and it yeah, works yeah. it works for a colony of bees who strictly have but one thing and that's to make the queen reproduce until the queen reproduces enough more another queen or enough of the hive that the hive needs to split and one of them become a queen and they become two and they split the hive yeah <laughs> other than that you know it's that is a complete hive mentality you know ants same way yeah it's extremely efficient but it's not human. It's definitely it there's no what we call humanity. What we recognize as humanity is not 
in the insect world in the hive mind you know you know individualism and individual thought is what keeps humanity human and you know like um this is reminding me of like um like a seal team you know like like you have like like a or like a like a black op team of some kind like you have a small unit of maybe at most what like I guess it depends on the operation, but like if it's a small black ops operation, it'd be like five people, I would imagine, at most, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's like these people, you know, they have a, a leader and it's like it's very strict, like follow the leader kind of mentality. Like um, basically you're putting all the decision making commands in your captain. Um, yeah. Like that's your right. commanding officer. So it's like, it is kind of like a hive mentality there, but what's funny about that is what makes that that so dangerous is that all of those are independent thinking men that are all highly trained individually acting right. as a unit. Right. That's what makes people like that is what's well, fucking terrifying we, about that, right? We have the we have the ability to train ourselves to turn it on and off. And when mm-hmm. you're part of being highly trained like that, it's just like with martial arts, you get muscle memory. And you get basically the memory in your brain of the function. You know, guys that come out of the military have a different mindset because, you know, it takes them a while. So I call it deprogramming. Totally. Because they're very strict about when they're getting up and getting things together and doing things because they keep you that way. So when it is time to go on a mission or complete a task, everybody, nobody questions, nobody stops and holds up. They're, they're like an ant colony. Everybody marches out and does what the task that they're supposed to do as efficient as possible. The job gets done quickly and we go back home. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. if anybody that gets in the way of that is not disciplined. And that's, you know, the machine breaks down, as they say. And I guess, um, like, yeah, like the, the orders and like the, the commandments and directives are very clear and strict, but I guess what is, is actually expected is like, but you're going to maybe, maybe not find the best route. Maybe that's been planned for you, but you're going to use your ingenuity as an individual to do this task to the best of your ability, because that's why you were trained. Well, when you have a team, you have specialists on the team that do things. And that's the idea. Your leader is the one that everybody looks to but the leader is also the dude who understands who knows how to do what yeah and delegates and then what you're also doing is you're putting your individual pride aside not worrying about whether or not you could plant the explosive as good as the demolition guy when you're the marksman you know you you just trust that he's gonna you know you're gonna shoot somebody from a distance and that dude's gonna worry about blowing something up but the leader is the one that's you sit here and do that. You sit here and do this and nobody questions. And, you know, it's a blend of things and it's also pack mentality, you know, but we're mammals, you know, we can relate to a wolf pack better than we can a beehive. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of elements, man. Right. A lot of elements to come into play. Hey guys, it's, you know. it's, uh, it's fascinating. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Terrifying at times, but fascinating. <laughs> what a time to be alive, right? Sure. Like in all of history, like what a time to be alive right now. What a time, man. Seeing some unique shit. 
We watched the information revolution rise and fall. And yeah. Now, now all we, all we have is the the current thing revolution. <laughs> yeah. Revolution of the current thing. I'm not sure what it is right now, but I'll tell you what. You know, it's It'll um, be different tomorrow, so it doesn't. <laughs> right. Me and if we were talking earlier about how like uh like it it's been a minute since uh because I pay attention to the news, like at least a little bit, you know. I try to stay informed. Um and like, you know, maybe I've just been missing it. I'm I'm that's in the realm of possibility, but I haven't really seen anything recently about Ukraine or COVID. So I was like, I was just kind of thinking, I was like, huh, when is the next divisive thing that's going to get people? Because I, I was like, there really hasn't been like a distraction in a couple of weeks. So like, well, maybe we're all going to start holding the government accountable and like right. stop and start paying attention. And then I was like, oh, wait, now, now Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Yeah. Yeah, so it's right on schedule. Going to be overturned. Yeah, I mean it's not even it's technically done. Oh, really? That's never happened <laughs> in history. Nobody does that. That's like highly yeah. illegal, and it's just like you're saying. You know, we didn't have any distraction. Everybody started going. There's no distraction, man. Shit's really expensive. Inflation's through the roof. So gas is outrageous, and employment's kind of everybody's quitting their jobs and shit's getting weird what's what's really sad to me about it we're supposed to be holding them accountable they go oh shit <laughs> that's not going to come out for a minute let's you know somebody needs to say something and yeah. there's your current thing what's really sad about it for me too is like um i don't really see enough people angry at the government like i see what i see is um one side um you know and i'm i i kind of i tend to agree with this side uh where it's like you know that's not really the government's responsibility to like make decisions about what you can do with your body that's where i i tend to lean on that subject but um you know there's this other side of the argument where it's like you're killing babies and it's like so it gets heated all of a sudden it's like you just want to kill babies you think babies aren't people and like fuck you and then you have this other side that's like, you you want a woman who's been raped to carry to term because you're a misogynist pig. And like, it's like hyperbolic, 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 hyperbolic. You, you really want, what is it? The, what is the show? Uh, Handmaid's Tale. You want to live in the world of the Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. So, <laughs> so where, like, what, what's really sad to me is like, I see everyone divided yelling at each other why aren't we yelling at the government why are we not holding them accountable why are we fighting so, each other one thing is, a lot of people don't understand about this in particular is that what this decision it it doesn't legalize or make anything illegal it yeah takes the control out of federal government's hands which is actually a very liberal move you know, because I mean, that sounds great to me, actually. Like, yeah, so it's it, not a fe- so the federal government ha- has no say in the matter, basically. Right. And basically, I was saying it doesn't mean. That oh, but I guess that it. also means that a place like Texas is, can now. Yeah. Texas passed, okay. passed yeah. the uh, heartbeat law, 
which you know if you're gonna if you gotta set something up i mean you gotta hand it to them i'm not one to go by laws but that's such a touchy thing and such a weird area to get into um at least they're like trying to <laughs> say okay well we'll make a standard and try to see both sides of it here you know allow it to a certain extent but then say you know but nobody's ever going to be freaking happy you yeah. know well it kind of comes down to like where you draw the line a line has to be drawn so and when the federal know. government draws a line across the country people don't understand until it's a line that they want to cross yeah. They'll rant and rave about them all day long. You know, I've been bitching about them doing all kind of shit for years, and nobody gives a shit and until they say this. And I'm like, well, for years and years, this wasn't really an issue. If the state you were in deemed it illegal, just like now with pot, if you want to tote around a bag of pot, you can't do it where I live. But if you go to another state that you can, you can, because it's no longer federally, federally regulated. And that's really what everybody, I think, should want to do is get the control out of the federal government. They did not create the states. The states created them. And they have made American people forget that. I I hate the government having power to do anything, so I I think I have to agree with you. (laughs) I think my issue there, though, still is like, I think where it gets difficult, so I... I mean, I grew up Central Alabama, extremely conservative community, and I disagree with most things political that in that my my you know family agrees with. And I didn't get to control where I was born, so if my state's extremely conservative, but I'm not, I mean, I guess there's the argument that I could move. Right. I but, mean, I was born in Mobile. Yeah. Well, it, it might not be fair, but that that actually is the argument, at least in the United States, is like if you don't like the laws in this state, it's it's a united congregation of states. So you can just hop to another state and like they have maybe they have laws you like. It's like that's, that's not really that's not really ideal. Right. But like, um, yeah. And I don't think it's as easy as it sounds for everybody. Yeah. No, I mean, like it's also not really feasible a lot of the time a lot of people can't do that you know right well you're also talking about the the idea of the type of laws because when you're talking about 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 abortion it has to do with the practice of it in a state it's not like a it's not like uh property taxes are cheaper in a different place it's like you can just drive across the border and do what you need to do they're not going to arrest you when you come back because you did that it's not that, and that's actually what it is, is people look at, when they look at laws, they look at what, they say these are, this is illegal. And what they're saying is that's the act itself is not what is illegal. It's the practice of giving it as a medical practitioner, you know? And since you can't legally make a medical practice as not a medical practitioner, if you did it on your own, it's still illegal. So you have to go where, it's considered a medical practice everywhere. So you have to have somebody doing a medical practice to do it for it to not be an illegal procedure, you know, and I've seen dirty dancing. Right. So, you know, and then that's what, and that's one of the big things that a lot of um, 
people that support it are about because they, they, they're afraid that if it's illegal, then it becomes filthy. They got people got to go in a back alley and do it. And, you know, it's, it's really a, there's a whole lot of nuance that goes into things because there anytime, is. anytime you throw accountability in either direction, it can, it can so easily be thrown back. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's one of those touchy yeah. touchy things. It's such an odd situation. It's not like drug use. I don't really know where. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know because I don't want the government to have a say in anything. But like in this subject, it's saying you have rights, right? It's saying you can do this. It's not saying you can't do something. It's yeah. it's yeah. It's saying that. Basically, um, basically, the law stated, Roe versus Wade, I believe, stated that you couldn't make it illegal. I think that's, that's literally my understanding. Yeah. And so, by overturning it, a lot of people feel like, and it will. A lot of states obviously will, you know, change, you know, go by their self-written laws, just like they did with pot laws, but. It's going to be real interesting state to state because especially here in Tennessee, our capital is a democratic city. Nashville yeah. is always, has never had a Republican mayor ever in its, its history. It's a weird state. And yeah. it's always been a red state. Yeah. But we are a blue, blue, Nashville is a blue city, you know, and it's so here, um, um, I can already, you know, feel the ground rumbling that they're going to be going off down at the Capitol, you know. Probably. Yeah, because that's just kind of, you know, and, and that happens in different places for different issues because of different things, you know. You're not going to see the same kind of reaction in certain other states because they're not, they're not states that are going to start banning it, you know, or have to worry about that. <clears throat> so It's tricky. Because, you know, you get into states that are extremely, well, I say extreme, uh, I don't necessarily love using extreme words, <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, you get states that are like, okay, it's illegal to do it here, and if we find out you go to another state, then we want to be able to... Mm do something about that well i, think, I don't yeah. know how many of them have actually like the only way you could do that is federally because crossing once you cross a state line if you're committing a crime it's a state crime for the most part say you know that's what makes smuggling different than standard trafficking if you're if you have illicit contraband you know anything that is controlled and you aren't licensed to possess and you are traveling with it that becomes a different type of charge yeah. you're transporting and you're moving so that's what trafficking really means when you cross a state line it becomes interstate trafficking and it becomes a federal case then meaning it's out of the state's hands and the fbi comes and deals with you so what you're looking at is states cannot do that they would have to get the federal government involved because the federal government doesn't have the power there's nothing you can do. What other people worry about is then you got to worry about extradition. 
across the United States, you break yeah. a law in one state, you get extradited pretty easily. Yeah. If you leave the country, most other, a lot of other countries will extradite you back to the U.S., but certain right. ones don't for don't, certain yeah. laws. Mm -hmm. So people worry about that. If the federal government didn't have any power, you could do something in one state that the other state refuses to extradite people for and jump a, you know, drive right across the county, much like Europe. You yeah. know, basically it's supposed to be set up like Europe with as states, but we elected a federal government or got tricked into building a federal government. I, I, I think I'm actually okay with the government enforcing freedom. That's I think that's yeah. I like it when they destroy their own power. I've got no problem with them going, we don't have control over this anymore. We don't have a say in this. Uh, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it's tricky. Point. It's super tricky. Mm -hmm. Super tricky. Be tricky. It doesn't help that I'm a male, and I guess I the, the have to worry that much about it. I guess the problem is, I, I guess I, I also have a problem with state governments and how they run things. But like that would that'd be my thought too. Is like it, it is great that the federal government's like okay, <laughs> right. we're just whatever, but you're then you're just handing it down. Yeah. To another government system that now is telling me what I can and can't do. It really, yeah, it's not like it really puts hand power in the hands of the individual. I guess, I guess well, it, it does, as far as election goes, as far as like you can elect someone. People tend, yeah, people tend to trust the state elections. I don't, I definitely don't trust the national election. That's a good as point. As far as the state election, I could see how that would be a little more easy, easily to pull off and not be so easy to, well, I mean, like, we just have an illusion of choice anyway. It's not like, right. it's and not like our it. fucking, yeah. Most people don't pay that much attention to policy when they vote. They're voting for their team. Yeah. I'm, hey, I've been, I've been that person. Right. Still am in some ways. So, yeah, totally. It's a lot. I've been, I've, <laughs> I've, been, lot, rooting my, I've been rooting for my, my, wingless team for a long long time my team of you know there's no government like no government there's nothing to say for it that's for sure uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always funny to me when someone is like an activist but they're advocating for more government regulation like you're not an activist you're not an activist if you're advocating that more power be taken out of the hands of individuals and what you gotta what you gotta understand is a lot of these laws especially with the abortion law what begins to be fought is where government funding is going because yes. my stance on it is very it's very down the middle, but actually around the backside because it's very kind of cold. You know, my thing is not only do, you know, to me, if you want to debate scientifically if it's a life or not and when a conception is, that's irrelevant to me because yeah, what is relevant to me is it's a value to me. Right. And I see all life as having value, including plant life. And I don't eat much meat. I eat fish, right? But I still see plant life to be life. And I I'll think, still consume it. 
So if that has value to me, value has relative meaning. You know, I'm not going to eat a human. So they don't have that kind of, they got more value to me. My own child has even greater value to me than any other human. So if it's not mine, it's not my seed, then it's not really my concern. You know, it's not my burden to bear. That's somebody else's burden to bear. That's somebody else's moral dilemma if they want to. I'm not going to, I don't need to cry myself to sleep at night because of this happening. But Neef, that's not fair. So, <laughs> well, welcome to the tundra. Oh. But also what a lot of people overlook is where the government plays a role in distributing our tax money which is stolen from us as far as I'm concerned. So to steal my money and then use it in ways that I don't like, like bombing other nations, is a slap in my face. So not yeah. only, you know, we're put into such a dilemma, and especially, you know, with, with you know, being a, being a man who's, you know, I'm a man, so I'm considered not necessarily have an opinion on this, yet, it takes me to create that. So if yeah. it is mine, then for me to not have any say is kind of like, all right, if you want to be that cold with it, that's fine. But let's back it up to the my body, my choice. Well, my body equals the labor that I create that creates the capital. So therefore, my capital is part of my body. So my capital should be my choice. So to take my tax dollars that have been stolen from me and raise a seed that is not mine or to kill a seed that is not mine there is no place for that. Well, let's use another example, right? Because maybe this one's a little hot button. Here's another example. I shouldn't have any pay. Well, I'm just, let me, let me take it here. Prison. I shouldn't have to pay for. No, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I, I, I am, I am uh, offended if it's a slap in my face, just like you were saying, if that like, I have to, my tax dollars go to rapists and murderers survival yep like i, I i'm paying for them to eat i paying for education too yeah i don't uh why am i doing that because i don't, you don't have a choice. i don't consent to that it's so you don't have to join them for evading taxes Alex. <laughs> they make too much money for the state that's why you get into a lot of it's like a whole there's a lot of conversation there because yeah. ideally, ideally speaking, prison is a reformative institution that if I go into prison, I will have learned my lesson and I will remorse and repent and I'll come <laughs> out a better person. In a perfect world, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's not what fucking happens. With a real estate life. Well, you know. Oh. <laughs> people come out of prison and they they can't get jobs because they're felons 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's, not it's not reform. It makes sense, right? It's simple capitalism. That's just called repeat business. Yeah. It's it's just, and it, it's not what it's painted to be as a reform. And we're going to, we're going to put these people in here. They're going to pay their debts to, to society and they're going to come out better people. They're not going to do it again for sure. And they're going to contribute in a way they never thought they'd ever fucking be able to do. And that's not what happens. They go in. It, it's a, it's a monster of a thing. They come out. A lot of them go right the fuck back in. The ones that don't struggle. And so well, what, well, I've known people that have been in out in both ways. And I know guys that are completely successful, extremely successful coming out of the pen. It's true too. But there's some, yeah, but, no doubt. But the main thing is is that institutions are institutions and a lot of most of our prisons are private. So they mm -hmm. profit. So they do not want people out of there. They want people in because they make money from the federal government. Yeah. That pays them to have house people. So if you don't have any prisoners, you're not making any money. And yeah. the problem is, is our government turns itself into a business and acts like it's a business to make money. And yeah. if we pull the ism in capital, that's what I always say. Capital, the problem with capitalism is the ism. Yeah. And if we pulled money out of government, we'd have no problem. If yeah. we want to have minimum wage, everybody who works for the government should make minimum wage and no more. I, I agree with I'll, you there. The I'll president should make uh, yeah. whatever the minimum wage of Washington, D.C. is. Yeah, you well, should, I'll, you know, never, uh, I'll never remember the comedian I heard this from, but it was a comedian that had talked just about that. He was like, man, if you're going to be a politician, your job is to serve the people. So you should make, if you're a congressperson for, I don't know, Mississippi, minimum fucking wage, bro, because you're here to help the people, because that's why yeah. you came into it, because yeah. you're so pious, but and you're you... so righteous, you don't care about the money, so but minimum we... wage, motherfucker, wear, that, wear those Walmart rags, and you go your ass to Congress, and you vote, and you write policy, and you make your state more affordable. If we're going to have public housing, the first people to be put in public housing should be government employees. Boom. And, you know, like, um, you I know, totally since, agree. since this is the real world, Alice, since it's Gotham, you know, what, what really happens is like, you know, maybe maybe there is that person with the good intentions. Like, I'm going to I'm going to fix it. Like, and then, you know, it's like, oh, I, I know that's me. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I will, I will take the government housing and I will take minimum wage. I, I am a servant to the people. And then it's like, um, you know, then big pharma knocks on your door <laughs> and they're like, uh, so much. they're like, Hey, I've got $3 trillion billion for you. If you'll um, lobby, if you'll I'll lobby it this you. way. Yeah. I'll legally hand it to you. Yeah. And if you're it's like, and if you're like, no, I would never betray my virtues for no amount of money. They're like, okay, what if I just kill your children? No, then you go on <laughs> in front of you. <laughs> then you go on one of those hunting trips where something happens, or you yeah, yeah. Well, it's always an accident. Plane that you're like, why is nobody else on this plane? <laughs> yeah. 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> Where did the rest of the passengers go? <laughs> it's not uh, a some tragic incident. Un, un, oh my God, we can't believe this happened. I mean, he's such a good man, such good morals. It never happens to. Uh, it only happens classic, to the good ones. Classic. Yeah, that shit only happens to the good ones. He was such a good man. Yeah. He was a good church-going man. As, uh, <laughs> I've heard so many times. It's it's such a loss. He was here really here for the community. Well, no shit, that's why he lost. <laughs> they offed his ass. Yeah, I mean um, they they killed. We are him. an optimistic it, bunch. <laughs> you know, you, you guys. I think Neef and I've talked about it. But you guys know about Kennedy's last speech, the last speech he ever gave. Mm-hmm. He he talks about how there are agencies within our government uh, that have nefarious intentions that are not the best for this country. And uh, they've infiltrated and they're powerful and they're in all legs of the government. And he gave this speech about it. And then he's like, I'm going to talk about this more going forward. Like, he planned on disbanding like the CIA. He planned on just trying to root out everything. You know, it's taken care of, but you know, they didn't kill him in his bed at home. No. They, killed him in a, they killed him in a fucking parade, yeah, next to his wife on no. public television, live it, it, in front of everyone. Sure it was not looked at like this was an accident because he did no. not subtly come out and, do, and yeah. do something, yeah, wide open came out and did something, so they wide open came out and responded. <laughs> they were kind of like game on bro <laughs> since kennedy let's do this since kennedy our government doesn't even like here's the thing here's the thing they could take out anyone in the world quietly if they wanted to but they don't fucking have to they killed kennedy on live television next to his wife in a parade full of people they don't they're not afraid of being uh discreet they don't fucking care that in fact it's more than not caring they made a message yeah, no, they yeah. cared enough to send the very best. Yeah. Yeah. Fellas, and we'll take a quick restroom break. Cool? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll pause yeah. the recording for Neef so he doesn't have to. All right, we're back. Hey, Alice, we had a little pee break. We're back now. We were talking about, uh, you know, what, what did it means to be a chef and um, like to run a kitchen versus what it is to be a cook. And uh, how that relates to Fela Kuti and how he ran his band. <laughs> yeah, there, was little, there was a little jump in the, the topic there. Uh, yeah. I don't remember uh, what we were talking about before, but. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, we did. Politics, but I was getting off on my uh, anarchist rants as I do. Yeah. So it's better if I start talking about another great anarchist, Fela Kuti. <laughs> I'm here for it, man. <laughs> What um so we talked about your non-musical inspirations. Who were who'd you listen to growing up? Who were your parents into? Oh fuck, dude. So uh <laughs> sorry, that came out really harsh. I didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> so is it okay if I tell a few little tiny stories through all this? Absolutely. But feel free, my man. So uh take us down a rabbit hole. I will do my best. Uh, when I think about music growing up, like I know my dad loved country music and 
He also loved funk music and like Detroit Motown. My mom uh, loved the Beatles and Rolling Stones. And having said all that, I don't, you know, we didn't, we didn't necessarily like sit down in the basement and just roll through albums. There are like a handful of vivid memories with specific albums as a young child. So I can list those for you. Thriller, the Miami Vice soundtrack, <laughs> which is, gets, it gets more funny and surreal the older I get that that's like a vivid musical memory for me, but it is. And uh, Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings, per particularly Poncho and Lick. I probably listened to that thousand, that, that song uh, several hundred times as a kid. Um, that was young age. And I don't think I understood my connection to music at the time. I knew it talked to me, you know, like I knew that there was feeling that I connected with, but I didn't think about it as something I could ever do. It just moved me around. Um, as the years went on, I ended up getting in a little more into like what was modern country, which was a little lame looking back on it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I liked it. Um, I got into some R&B, loved, loved my ass, some boys to men. Mm. And uh, listened to some Dwight Yoakam and some Alan Jackson. Hell yeah. And then somewhere, I would guess around puberty, which kind of makes sense. A little anger started coming through uh, and started getting into a little more rock. Now, it was baby steps, mind you. So, <laughs> you know, went from like Alan Jackson and Garth Brooks and Brooks and Don to like, matchbox 20 and thinking like oh shit these guys are killing it <laughs> yeah aggression <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> oh, then, uh that was so funny <laughs> and then uh and I, I think i should also probably preface a little if it isn't known to people now yet that Growing up in a small town means that you're you're a little ways behind on what's modern and cool musically a lot of times. So, uh, for instance, Sublime, you know, had their just massive run in the late mid late nineties, where it just took the world by storm. My hometown was about a year after that, so I was a little behind everything. You know, the grunge movement just crushed it in the early nineties. I didn't listen to grunge till the mid nineties. Okay. So everything I'm telling you is a couple of years behind the modern timeline. Um, or I guess not modern, the accepted timeline maybe is a better way to put it. So well, anyway, well, got into Matchbox 20, got into like Creed. Back then um, music didn't distribute around the country the way it does now, Alice. That's so very yeah. true very good point heads, you know it even, took a minute. Even, here, even here in nashville you know 
we we had to search certain record shops to find even the underground alternative and even the grunge oh, yeah. you know that area in that time you know it wasn't at a click it wasn't sitting on your telephone Alan. No, it wasn't. yeah yeah like you couldn't go to your phone and be like hey what's the top hit today like right. so man in uh clanton alabama birmingham was the biggest city and it wasn't very big back then so you know you got what you got but uh after you know kind of just years of progression and just if i kind of always remember as a kid loving music but also feeling unsatisfied by a lot of it and it wasn't until like my mid-teens that i discovered like metallica and beastie boys and some of those just more aggressive Fa favorite beastie boys album Oh shit, dude! Why would you do that to me? <laughs> uh, so, if you ask me, my favorite, my favorite Beastie Boys album at like age twenty would have been "License to Ill." All right. Um, favorite one now would be Paul's Boutique. Oh, absolutely! It's just yeah. I I still listen to it, even when I listen to it now. I hear things, and I'm like, "Fuck those dudes!" Yeah, those dudes, man. I used to uh, I used to drop LSD and listen to Paul's Boutique and check your head. Man. Like, you know. What's your, uh, do you have a favorite track from Paul's Boutique? Always. Oh, man. That's tough. I know. Yeah, he threw one yeah. back at you. The, the, way, the way they did their record, and it, especially those two, you listen to them front to back, and so few people do that anymore and you know i i really love music out of the 70s and the 60s so there was a lot of that going on oh yeah and in the 90s we started you know in the 80s we lost a lot of that because of hits the 90s some bands would kind of touch on that sometimes they did totally back into that a little bit and totally you know, flame and lips was like that yeah know, oh love flame, flame and lips, lips. Uh, you know, Promise had a handful of albums like that. I felt like that just Port really, Port yeah. Uh, Sailing, Sailing the Seas of Cheese, man, that album's immaculate to me. So you got these full records, so it's so hard to say, yeah, my favorite track because totally. Oh, I, I get that. Yeah, totally get that. We still had cassette tapes then, Alice. You know, we'd put it on, and you weren't able to just hit the button and go back. CDs were kind of new. Hell yeah, man. No, and you were in it for the long haul at that point. <laughs> your CD because it'd want to skip. And even if your tape was fucked up, it'd still go through the fucked up spot, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I, I, I think it's okay. I so, from, from the, my music. Yeah. So, from uh, Metallica to Beastie Boys, where did um, you go from here? Ventured from there into more grunge. Oddly, right? You would think Metallica would have come after grunge for some reason, but the Black Album, Inner Sandman, you know, that hit for me, that I heard that first, and like, oh shit, that's awesome. Uh, and then got into like grunge, Pearl Jam in particular was, I feel like grunge is one of those eras that everybody has a favorite and arguably any of them is the best. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't even matter. 
uh, for me, but, but because, is because I have a favorite, I think mine's the best. So, well, it's absolutely, kinda, yeah. and rightly so. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the beauty of it. You know, that's the beauty. Uh, Pearl Jam was my favorite. Verses hit me at a time in my life that I had really started to understand that the world was not nice in a lot of ways. And that I did not adapt, that the world was not built for me. Um, so I don't know if people watching, I don't know if you're even aware. I have a physical disability. I've got CP, uh, cerebral palsy. So when I heard verses for the first time, I was about 13. And I had a lot of anger and I had a lot of confusion and frustration that stemmed off of my physical limitations. And that album, like, it touched those core elements. And I remember thinking, like, this is okay. There's something strong to this. Uh, so Pearl Jam quickly became my favorite band at the time, and they still remain one of my favorites. They'll probably always be that way for me. Um, but got into them, heavy, got into Outkast, uh, yeah, because they were just so irreverent and uh, unapologetic lyrically. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Well, yeah, like catchy as shit, but so weird and so unapologetic mm -hmm. and fearless. So that got me through high school. Uh, Radiohead, I picked them up around, you know, junior, senior year. Jethro Tull, I picked up around <laughs> junior, senior year. <laughs> yeah. Aqualong, man, still one of my favorite albums. Just too fucking good for its own. It's just too good. Too many. On a, on a Jethro Tull note, how deep down the Jethro Tull rabbit hole have you gone? You know, not as far as I should have. I'm going to be honest with you. I've, uh, Aqualong's my most familiar. I've dabbled around. I'm, you know, almost like, almost a little embarrassed to say. I have not uh, they're, um, cranked into it. They're a band much like, say, Rush, where unless they're a band that you really like, and really know on that certain level that you're not yeah. expected to know a lot you know and i'm not i like rush but i'm not a rush fan like rush fans i know as far as toll goes i'm a early deep early toll fan like i am with most bands i like okay. a lot of early stuff for every band yeah so, man and but i'm very astute when it comes to Jethro Tull and Ian Anderson, you know. I uh they're one of my hugest influences musically. Having like, you know, and this is this is very spur of the moment, but like, you know, like now that we're talking about it, I haven't thought about Jethro Tull in a little bit. And now I'm like, man, you know, that's the beauty of access, is now I actually do have access to all their albums. Yeah. It's so easy to go listen to. Mm -hmm. And I just hadn't thought about that in a while. A fucking long while now. Actually, so if you don't mind, be something I do tomorrow. 
if you don't mind that's actually like um i'd like to segue into like uh that makes me think about like there's kind of like this there is so much more access now but there's more distractions too so, oh, so much more. Yeah. it's it's harder for kids in this generation to pick up a craft to learn a discipline because there are so many distractions um, yeah now the ones that are capable of doing that they have so much more access though they have so much more capability than ever before it's the double-sided thing you know like yeah it is there's a lot of distraction fucking lot of distraction man. that's, that's right. why that's why i trap people in a chair and make them listen to great music like clockwork Thank orange you. style yes yeah. thanks for uh <laughs> clockwork oranging me me appreciate yeah. it like no keep your eyes open the okay whole i'm trying so, so neve mm -hmm. in res a further response to your to the jethro tall i have not delved into them I am the Rush fan. Um, my my album I put out, it it's I mean it is a, a tribute to Rush in that the first half of the album is one full story, the second half is quasi related, mm. and uh, like Hemispheres and several of those early albums of Rush's that had that that first half was just one massive work of ridiculous prodigal talent and then oh. the rest of it was equally good but it, it you know it wasn't necessarily part of that story well speaking of massive long single tracks have you ever heard thick as a brick by just at all thick as a brick i don't think i've listened to it but thick you know what is one record the whole song it is the entire record wow and it's a poem. The whole thing is it's a massive poem. And Thick as a brick. Is that the name of the album? I'm assuming as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's I'm writing whole, it down. There's a story on the album cover, like a newspaper that that talks about this little boy who won a poetry okay. contest, and it became a scandal that he wrote it, or they don't know. And, and it's like the silly made-up thing that they did for their album cover, but it's based off of what that poem like the kid wrote the song oh, okay yeah. oh and shit yeah. that's awesome and, and <laughs> that's awesome play on what the song speaks of when it, it talks about you know it's a brilliant brilliant song it's one of those ones that'll have you you know it's something that you 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 hand your 14 year old and you say look boy you know go put headphones on and listen to every yeah. word this this album says so trust me on this yeah I will check that out, man. Thank you for the recommendation. Great album. Um, yeah, that I'm I'm very happy that Jethro Tull has come up because I really <laughs> I I just really hadn't listened to him in a minute, and it was before I had like streaming music when I did. It, I just uh, haven't listened to it. What's great about Thick as a Brick is very lyrical. It's very you're really into that their movement is very symphonic in it. It's got a lot of great movement, but it's not as jazz intense as their very early stuff that I'm okay. really into. And their early stuff is very jazz intense. Yeah. Which is why it didn't get big, but it's very blues rock, like most of the 60s British stuff was, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, which I'm a 
huge fan of and a big big influence in my life is and my music is a lot of English psychedelic blues. Absolutely. I will check that out for sure. It's kind of funny because I was thinking earlier there was something that I was going to bring up for an album that I was going to recommend to Alice as we were talking about something that it brought up and I was going to bring it up and but whatever. We went from Beastie Boys and then Jeff Throtel and Rush. Yeah. yeah. I can't uh, I can't not mention Tool because yeah. They're a massive influence for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was uh, one of the big ones cracked my egg too. Even though there's way better ones, right? Like uh yeah, they Yeah. They really opened me up. Not everybody though. You know, like I totally appreciate people that are like, yeah, I don't know. I I get it. <laughs> but for me, they they moved the needle well beyond the red. Uh, still do. Yeah. I, I saw them play when they were a side stage man at Lollapalooza in 1993. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. And me and, like, my buddies were probably the only people in town that even listened to them. They, that was before, right before Undertow even got put out. Oh, shit. So you saw yeah. them for, like, opiate, basically. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I saw oh, him I, twice on the Lateralis tour, tour, and it was it was amazing. I mean, they put on a hell of a show. I'm at the deck here. I'm, I'm not even sure what tour it was, but and it was yeah, it was really really good. But it was such a distant show that you know, and I'm I'm very burnt out on going to <laughs> arena type shows and shows like yeah. That. Same here. Uh, last arena show I went to. It was Metallica, and it was really only because my wife had never seen them. Um, we went to Metallica, the one, the last Nashville show they had, we went. But before that, it had been, I went to see El, nope, I, I guess, I mean, I saw Rush on their last tour through Nashville, and I saw Elton John. Mm. But, yeah, the arena, it's, yeah, it's, I'm not, not into that vibe as much as I used to be. It, it makes, you know, it makes great artists seem like you're watching a prefabricated act that you could just watch on MTV. A little bit, yeah. yeah. You know, I saw Queens of the Stone Age play at Municipal here. Ooh, nice. a floor show, like they weren't on the floor, but everybody was on the floor. And it wasn't very packed. I mean, it was oh, filled cool. up, but it just seemed kind of mellow. Yeah. And it was like, it almost was like not being at the municipal. It was like we're in some weird club that was kind of big, you know, and it was a really one of the best shows I've seen there because it was that level. And I've actually seen them there years earlier playing with Nine Inch Nails. I think they opened for them on Halloween. Wow. And I saw, so wow. I that's a, a hell of a show to see. Yeah. It was the Geck I saw them at doing that. And that was, you know, that's an arena. The Geck, which is now uh, Bridgestone. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Damn. Um, That's still and, badass. And it was a good show, but I was up in the seats. So it wasn't like standing there like, you know, and I'm so used to that because I ran thousands of those kind of shows, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Garrett, how do you think human life be, like came to be? Came to be? Yeah, like like oh, fuck, dude. Like we're kind uh, of different from like like other animals, you know. Who man? <laughs> so okay, hold on. Let me I'll let me clarify a little here. Do you mean like evolutionarily speaking, like Earth has already created man came from this or oh you don't know what do you think how did we end up cast out onto the cold tundra (laughs) (laughs) i was there on the first day (laughs) screaming what how's it going well i know if i fuck it up you'll like crucify me so how's it go my first thought is that we are only really a thought of something so massive we can't comprehend it. So like, we feel like this is all real because this is our perspective. But really, just as a thought in our brain is fired from a neuron, we are equally spontaneously fired from a much larger neuron and a much larger thing that will flame out as quickly as it can. Kind of like the 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 solar system is an atom, and the sun is the nucleus, and we're all spinning on a big electron, but we're all Pretty electrons much. spinning on electrons or just vibrations, and everything is really just a vibration at a certain frequency, whether it's matter or just energy, which are one and the same. So consciousness and existence in the universe are just one and the same. Is that what you're saying? Spot on. Nice. <laughs> Groovy. Groovy. I, mean, I think, you know, I believe in, you know, if we're looking more, you know, more surface level, I believe in evolution. I don't think, I don't believe in Adam and Eve. Personally, I don't. What? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's a, uh, having said that, and kind of referencing back to the beginning of this conversation, I don't fucking know that. And maybe for all I know, that, you know, shit, man, maybe there, I mean, you have to assume there had to have been some form of Adam and Eve. I know a girl named Eve. I know many Adams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually. So there we go. Problem <laughs> solved. There we go. Mystery, mystery cleared. Yeah, I guess. Do you do you think um, there it was like a natural evolution, or do you think there's some kind of missing link that could be explained, or what do you think? Uh, I'm yeah. sorry, like, and no one knows. No one knows, right? No, but. no, I got you. No, I mean, I, I think that there probably wasn't a natural evolution. I don't. Something happened. I believe that most likely. Okay. Yeah. That's uh, kind of where, I don't mean to lead you, but that's kind of where I'm at on it. No, 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 man. Um, I think that I think it's I think evolution, dude. The white rabbit is leading the guest. <laughs> Here's my hand right. Hold on a second. I think uh, <laughs> order in the court. Stop leading the witness. You have a legit mallet. That's awesome. Um yeah. no, I think that uh you know I I believe in evolution when we're talking about more like, you know, okay, my first answer was obviously outside of our realm of like perception. So if we're talking more about like what we can see and study and follow, I believe in evolution. 
I do I don't believe that we just appeared one day out of nothing. I think that we were microcosms. Is that the right word? Maybe not. Doesn't matter. I think we were tiny, tiny, and we evolved to one level, and the environment changed, and we evolved to another level, and the environment changed. Evolved. And that continued until here we are. Right. That's, you know, that's as feasible as most, you know, more feasible than a lot of stuff I hear. I think my general belief is that, like, miracles are real. And I'm not, I'm not a person that's like, no, that fucking didn't happen. I, I'm not that. Um, I do think that many things are not as great as we think they would, that we want them to be. And they're also not as bad. So I think that goes both ways. And I think that goes across the board in a lot of ways of like, we want to believe that we're these super special things and that we're so unique and so just special. And we're not in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. but we are in some ways. I, I got to see uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson speak one time and uh, somebody asked him about his belief in God and that sort of thing. And they also asked of like, do you think that the idea that there are just thousands of universes and galaxies that are the exact same as us, does that make us less special? And his response was great. And I'll never get it, um, you know, by like verbatim. But what I took from it was we are not special in the way that we want to imagine we're special. We want this belief that we are so unique and so different in a certain way. And the reality is that we, in, in the way that we want to be so special and unique, we're really just molecules that happen to collaborate at a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain way. Having said that, we are here. And a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second of a, you know, an inch millimeter difference changes anything ever happening. So we are uniquely special, but also not. And you yeah. can be both. Sure. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, we're probably not alone in the universe, like intelligently. We just haven't. Well, I guess uh, that's my next question. Uh, do you think uh, there's extraterrestrial life? And do you think they've interacted with Earth? I do think there's extra, I, I absolutely think there's other intelligence out there. I mean, you know, I feel like, I feel like they probably have at least attempted to interact. Um, my head goes in a lot of different directions. Uh, I'm a bit of a believer in the multiverse. So um, the idea that 
aliens traveled here from Mars and are watching us, I don't think that's likely. Is there a form of being that is able to interact with parallel dimensions that we aren't aware of or, you know, able to perceive? At least not many of us. I think that's possible. Yeah. I totally think that's possible. Um, and I, and you know, and having said that, I, I'm not, I'm not even saying I don't believe that it's possible that there's actual physical alien life here. I wouldn't even go, I wouldn't deny that even because I just, I, I think, uh, I've seen too many things even in this short life of mine that, uh, that kind of blew my mind in the moment. They're like, yeah, you know what? I don't fucking know anything, dude. I am the most clueless, you know, hairy son of a bitch out here. And there's no telling. What um what 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 was one of those occurrences? Do you have any uh anything supernatural you can't explain? I've got a couple of stories for you. Now I will say that this happened to be I watched an earlier episode and I was a little bit prepared for something of this nature to come up. So I've got two stories, if you're ready for them. He did his homework, Alice. Take us home, Garrett. Okay, so one story is my actual experience. Like, it was me. And then one is a, a very close person to me that I trust wholly because historically they have never, ever been someone that believes in supernatural or just weird things. So... I'll start with mine because I feel like mine's less profound. Um, so I ran a homeless shelter for about, how was it? I think five and a half years uh, in a nonprofit. And we, it was two group homes. It was a male and a female group home. And we specifically were for homeless individuals that also had major mental health issues so like schizophrenia or something like that now the homes that these people stayed in one of them was fairly modern i think it had been built in like the 80s you know nothing special the other however the men's house was early 1900s it's a historical spot in uh, nashville so um as most people probably know at this point, when you're working in the mental health field, medication is just a normal thing. So part of my duties as running this uh, facility was counting medication, going in, making sure people weren't taking more or less than they were supposed to. I had to do it during the day uh, when the residents were kind of out doing their thing and I was alone in the house for obvious security reasons, I needed to be able to like have a medication drawer open with no interruption. So one day doing my med check, this place was a two-story building. Um, you knew it was old school because when you open the front door, you could see straight through the house. Like you could see to the back end of the house. So I can't, there's a word for it. I know those older houses, they all had those kind of like breezeways. So it was a way to help yeah. air condition when there wasn't air conditioning. 
So um, I'm in the back of this house and doors are locked. No one is able to come in or out without a key. There was two exits on the first floor, a front and a back, and there was one exit on the second floor, a back exit. So I'm counting, I'm, I'm here doing my medication, counting it, you know, going through the shit. And I hear something above me. And my first thought was like, okay, it's, it's an old house, there's creeks, you know, that sort of thing, okay. Then I heard it again, and it was, I started really just kind of like, I stopped what I was doing and listened, and it sounded like footsteps. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, all right. Kind of waited for a minute. It stopped. I'm like, okay. Something we had to watch out for in our homes were people not wanting to leave during the day. It was pretty common. People didn't like, they didn't like having to leave. They wanted to be able to stay home, which makes sense, right? Yeah. So my first thought is like, shit, one of the residents has slipped our staff and they don't, you know, they were able to evade being pushed out of the house basically and have just had the day and they don't realize I'm here. So they're just moving around. So like, okay, well, let me just sit for a second. And just kind of wait, right? Well, I hear it again. And then I hear a door shut above me. I'm like, motherfucker. And at this point, I'm kind of angry because I'm like, one of these residents, man, one of these dudes has like been a jackass and dodged my staff that stays overnight until everyone's gone. He has managed to evade them and he is just here. So I'm like, okay. All right, here we go. So I throw all the medication back in the drawer. I lock it up. I get my bag. I get everything I need to walk out the house. And I'm like, all right, bottom floor secure. Doors are locked. Double check. Yep. All right. Make my way upstairs. Open the door to the hallway. Fucking nothing. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, there's like four bedrooms and they all have swinging doors that like shut automatically. So systematically, I'm opening doors. There's nobody, fucking nobody. I'm like, okay. I kind of know those were footsteps, man. Like this was not like creaks in the boarding. No, this was like pat, 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 door, bam. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> I get to the back of the, I get to the upstairs, upstairs exit and I have, there's not, there's no one there. So I le legit get freaked out, walk out, go to my car, go straight to my boss. And <laughs> she's in a separate building. So I go to her office and I kind of find her on the way. And I'm like, hey, I, I, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? She's like, yeah, what's going on? I'm like, I just, I just, I just need a minute. So we go in her office and she's like, dude, what, what's up? I was like, okay. So I give her the rundown and she's just kind of looking at me grinning like, yeah, nothing is shocking her. Like everything I'm telling her, she's just like, yeah, okay, okay. And I get through and she's just kind of looking at me and I'm like, 
has anything like this happened before? And she just kind of grinned a little bigger. I was like, well, yeah. I'm like, okay, what? <laughs> so, so she's like, well, do you know this counselor? And it was a counselor that was an overnight guy. He had been there for years and I didn't know him. He was still with him. I'm like, yeah, I know him. His name was Marshall. I'm like, yeah, I know Marshall. Yeah, what, what the fuck about Marshall? She's like, well, he's had a little bit of an incident. And I'm like, okay, what kind of incident? And she's like, well, he was working overnight. It was about three, four in the morning. All the residents were asleep. He heard the door upstairs to the hallway open and shut. He went to kind of the little breezeway where you could see from back to front. And that's where the stairs came down. And he saw a dude. Now it's dark, so he just sees like a silhouette type thing. But even in the moment, apparently, in the moment, he kind of was looking at it and it looked like dude had on like old school army fatigues, not like Vietnam, like fucking Civil War situation. But he didn't, you know, it was dark. And he's, you know, he was like, that's weird. But he saw a silhouette and he's like, hey, you know, what are you doing up? Dude looked at him, turned around, went back upstairs. So he double checked his area to kind of make sure doors and stuff were shut, but like chased the dude upstairs. And by the time he got upstairs, no one awake, no doors open, nothing. Wow. And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> I think I told her I, I, right there. I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to be in that house alone for at least a few weeks. Like, I, I'm legit freaked out. And this well, is more than I'm prepared to deal with. And she was understanding. That's story number one. Are we still good for story number two? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, very close person of mine. Um, very a uh, logical person, right? So like, logically I'm looking for answers at all times type person. Mm -hmm. Well, she lived in Alabama where I grew up. Her father was older, uh, lived in Louisiana. They were close. Their relationship had been tumultuous, you could say. But over the last, the several years leading up to that, it had been really good. They stayed close, talked a lot, that sort of thing. He, his health was bad. Like he, she, they knew he had heart issues. He had smoked fucking 50, 60 years. Like just a, just a lot, you know, just physically a lot. Um, so they knew he wasn't doing great, but he had been living on his own and doing, doing good for a while. She went to bed one night. She had a dream. And in this dream, she walks up to a house, walks in. It's a big party looking situation. Um, doesn't recognize most of the people. She does recognize one. It's her mother-in-law who had died a few years earlier across the room from her and is walking, you know, starts to approach her, which is like a 
all right, you know, dream-wise, you're like, okay, all right, nothing, you know, okay. Starts interacting with her mother-in-law, who they had not had a good relationship. Like, they did not like each other, did not get along. It was just not a good relationship. But in this dream, mother-in-law was very nice and super uh, empathetic and kind of made, like, made weird statements of, like, everything's all right. It, those kind of like classic dream statements that you see in the fucking movies of like, you know, it's everything's fine and don't worry, it's safe. And she, you know, my friend is logical and is like, okay, all right. Well, during that, she notices this person in the back of the room, this man, and half of his face is like deep red, like maroon red, and half is just like albino white creeps her the fuck out and this person seems to be coming towards her or trying to communicate and she freaks out and in the dream her mother-in-law is still just like you know it's fine everything's okay everything's okay it's fine but she bails my friends in her dream she bails the room leaves wakes up it's like three in the morning or something. She gets a phone call and it's her sister. And they're like, yeah, or actually it may have been more like, actually, honestly, I'm thinking it may have been more like seven or eight in the morning, but it's her sister. Her sister's like, hey, dad's gone. She's like, okay, well, okay. So, you know, you kind of snap back into reality, go back to taking care of life and doing the shit that needs to get done. So she goes to Louisiana gets to the uh, hospital where, well, not hospital, where, wherever his body's at, they get, she gets there and meets uh, her sister who she had talked to and her brother. And they're just kind of updating, you know, like briefing basically of like what's going on. And they're like, you know what, you know, you know, this is what happened, this is what's going on. And as they're telling my friend what happened, they're like, so, you know, they think he had a heart attack. He lived in a trailer. So they're like, they found him in the bathroom. They think he maybe had a heart attack while he was like getting ready for bed or whatever. But he fell. He hit the side of his face on the tub. And that's how they found him. And so when they found him, half of his face, all the blood had settled. The other half was very, very pale. Wow. And she didn't tell them about her dream until about a week later. And apparently it freaked them the fuck out. Wow. Like apparently when she told them, they were like, uh, and they, they just didn't really have a response. Yeah, what do you say? Yeah, what the fuck do you say? Like, uh, clearly he was trying, like, that I don't, that's like, for me, as my personal experience, that's the most undisputable argument for something beyond what we can perceive on a normal basis. Because my friend would not lie to me about that. I know she, I've known her too long and she's too logical. And it freaked her out. Like you could just, it, it I hate to say freaked her out because it didn't freak her out. You know, she was okay with it. But it, Maybe dazed her, kind of stunned her, maybe. 
I think it gave her a month. I mean, I think before that, I think she might have been somebody that was like, oh, this is some bullshit, but it happened to her. And so I think she was in that place of like, gotcha. uh, shit. <laughs> so that's my ghost story. <laughs> well, on that note, Alice, you can catch Garrett Devon in Ashland City at, where was it? Uh, Shy Eye Girl on the 29th on of this month. Of this month. Alice, it's a very special date. Do not be late. Thank you again so much for being here. This has been a pleasure. Thanks to both of you. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, you are welcome back anytime. Alice, have a good night. We'll see you next week. This court is now adjourned.